So please be seated. Boy, every once in a while, you just wish you could just kind of worship all day long. But I'm here to interrupt. <laughs> Hopefully to help your next worship. We're going into a very long stretch of preaching. We're turning a corner toward the arenas or fields of ministry. All this year is about being salt and light in the world, which to us is being trained for ministry so that we can do other people some good on behalf of God. And God can work through us in ways that we never expected. And so for the next nine months, uh, Orlando and in a couple of months Isaac and myself are going to be talking specifically about the areas of life where we can minister. And we're going to take it in concentric circles. You know, when, when the gospel spread things, it always did it in concentric circles. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. And, and when we read this morning about the work of the Spirit, it goes from marriage to family to work. And, and we're going to do that. Marriage, family, work, school, uh, sports, friendships. Uh, those aren't concentric circles. Wait a minute. Friendships. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you build your own circles. But, but we're going to f- cover them all. Now... But we want to start here. We want to start with the overall attitude of submission. I know submission causes us a lot of heartburn. It shouldn't. It shouldn't, and I'll tell you why. As a matter of fact, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, or chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 21, we'll get to our memory verse for the week. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's in 521, but I want you to see the whole context First of all, Ephesians is the book of maturity. It's been called the epistle of maturity because it really talks about the deep things of God and about how we can be the most mature. Now, let's start with the first verse of that chapter because that's the context. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You talk about submission. The reason we submit is because we want to walk as imitators of God who gave himself up. That's submission. And not some awful thing. It's a fragrant aroma. Now, more to the particular context, the chapter progresses and it builds toward uh, Ephesians 5.18. Many of you know this verse uh, by heart because it talks, it's a, it's a present imperative uh, verb tense and mood in it. And it says, be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we walk as imitators of God? Well, you got to be filled with the Spirit. You can't do it in the flesh. Nothing, nothing of our flesh really wants to imitate God for very long. Uh, only long enough to get our way. Um, and so you got to be filled with the Spirit. And the present imperative means it's an order. You got to, God says to do it, therefore we, it can be done. He wouldn't tell us to do something that can't be done. And the present uh, tense means it's a, on a continuous and repeated basis. You get filled with the Spirit once, you do it again, be filled with the Spirit again and again and again and again. And then it gives signs. It, it says this is what happens to you when you're filled with the Spirit. It comes down with about four indicators that you're filled with the Spirit. The first one says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then singing and making melody in your heart, that's another indicator. 
And then in verse 20, it says, always giving thanks. That's another indicator. You're filled with the Spirit. But this last one's the one we want to concentrate on. Being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Being subject to one another. Um, now, I want you to see that all of these uh, in the Greek are in the present, uh, they're present participle, participles in the middle voice. And that's important because it means this. You do, it, you do it again and again and again, present tense, remember. Therefore, submitting to one another is a, is a practice. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing, everything. It, it's a practice. It, it's on a continuous basis. I'm going to get better at this because I'm doing it so often. But also, in the middle voice, there, it's, it's, it's indicative of a purely voluntary thing. Submission is not obedience. Obedience is doing something whether you feel like it or not. Submission is, I love doing this. I, this is, I love this. It's a voluntary thing. Now, how in the world can you get there? Well, first of all, you don't want to, you want to wipe, out, uh, wipe out the first part. It says out of, the, out of the reverence for Christ or out of fear of Christ. You don't want to take, you don't want to not take very seriously the consequences of not being su uh, submissive, and that is running into trouble. Uh, it, uh, we're going to flip to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 right now. We're going to be flipping between uh, uh, Ephesians and 1 Peter. I want you to see this. The, the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You ought to be afraid of stuff that's gonna, that, that you could get in trouble for. And, and you can get in trouble for not submitting to one another. Because you've got to understand, God values people. When you think people aren't so important enough to submit to or you're more important than people, you're talking about the people he loves here. I'll never forget, it, it says, uh, uh, that scripture we're going for is uh, Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 17, where it says, in the last part of it, conduct yourselves in the fear, in fear, during your time, during your stay upon the earth. <laughs> and, and it talks about the fear of God it's like, as, as if you address the Father uh, as the one who impartially judges according to each man's work. Now, what does fear really mean there? Well, fear means that you ought to be afraid when you ought to be afraid. When you're doing something wrong, you, you, ought, to be, you ought to be smart enough to, to be afraid. Uh, I, I'll never forget the story of Larry Christensen, a, a Christian teacher um, and author. I told a story when he was young. Many of us have been through this. That's why, that's why I remember it. And uh, his mom and he got into a quarrel. And it was a shouting match. And his father was in the room. Now, he had, in the heat of the battle, kind of forgotten his father was in the room. And so... <laughs> Um, and he had lost his head and lost his respect for his mother, his, his tone of respect. And so his mother said something to him, and she started walking out of the room. And he, 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 just, he just said, just came out of his mouth, you're a big dummy. And he said at that moment, he felt his father's giant hand reach over, grab him by the chest grab him by the shirt, and literally lift him off the ground. And he looked horrified into his father's face. And his father says, who's a dummy? And he said, my natural reaction was to say, I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy. <laughs> See, now that's pretty smart, isn't it? Because you don't want to mess with that. Every time we are disrespecting somebody, Every time we're calling somebody's name, we ought to feel the Father's hand. 
just on our chest, lifting us up, looking into our eyes and saying, who are you talking about? Talking about me. Talking about me. I'm the dummy. You see, because there's consequences to that. There's consequences. You're talking about the very people God died for. You're talking about the very people God created. You're talking about the very people God loves. Don't be messing with those people. Don't be putting those people down. And that spreads, that spreads to all of God's sovereignty over his creation. Look, you go from 1 Peter 1.17 to, to, to 1 Peter 2.17. Flip, flip over to there. See what that says. See how it spreads. It says, honor all men. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Have in yourself this general attitude. I've been reading this week about the, the peace process in Northern Ireland. Finally, for decades, there has been absolute uh, um, um, uncompromised politics that was based on stereotypes, that was based on poverty of spirit, that was based on separation. And finally, the people and, and uh, the, the stereotypes have begun to break down and, and the people in Ireland uh, have, have grown in their maturity, in their productivity, uh, in their attitudes. The people of England have done the same. Um, and so uh, a peace process is possible now because the two parties have matured. But watch this. The final, the final tipping point of this whole process is everybody's just tired of fighting. They're tired of war. You know why? Of course you do. Because war's dumb. It's a dumb way to live. And, 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 and when you grow up, you start to say stuff like that to yourself. This is dumb. Fighting's dumb. It's a dumb way to live. Pure competition is dumb. Conflict is dumb. It's a dumb way to live. Well, the Bible says... We ought to really spread that out. We ought to, first of all, let's talk about husbands and wives. I hear so many spouses say critical things about their partners. That's a dumb way to do marriage. I mean, even I'm, some of them are hilarious. Some of you guys are so good with your jabs and your little shots. You are so good that it looks hilarious. But you know what, you know what happens? You know what the natural result of that is? reciprocity, warfare, conflict. It's a, dumb way to, it's a dumb way to live. It's really dumb. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And if you think that you're going to get away with those little shots without either distance in your marriage or some volley back, you're wrong. That's a dumb way to live. I hear people do that with their kids. You think you can, you think you can just... You can just tear your kids down, and you're not going to have any rebellion out of that. You think you can tear your kids down, and, and they're not going to somehow get back at, 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 and, and have an equal or greater toll on your life? Oh, no. That doesn't happen. You're setting yourself up for reciprocity. That's a dumb way to live. Same thing with, with friends. Same thing with work. Same thing with, with, with all of life. And what, what the Bible is saying here is live smart. Live smart. It's when you build somebody up, you get built up. You reap what you sow. And so you ought to have this general, okay, this is a smart way to live. I won't have to go through all that. But when it comes to marriage, turn back to Ephesians chapter 5 with me. 
When it comes to an attitude, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ or be, 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 be subject to each other out of reverence for Christ. This calls for a whole transplant. You know why? Because we've been brought up. We've been brought up to be very competitive. I mean, the words in this chapter, don't they just rub you wrong as Americans? I mean, look, look, at, look at what it says here. In verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Are you kidding me? What kind of thing is that to say? I got I to gotta be as submissive. I got to be as, as subject to him as I would be to God. Are you kidding me? What's he got to do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what he's got to do. You just got to submit to him. He's got to die for you. That's not a bad bargain. You see, the extent to what we're talking about here is like overwhelming. Well, how can I possibly? That's not even logical. No, it's not logical until you're wired from the inside for that. That's where the voluntary part. You've got to have a different nature. I was reading in Discovery Magazine um, um, this latest issue talking about uh, gene therapy. And there's such a difference between the transfer of somatic uh, cells to, to the transfer of germ cells. You can, you can, you, everybody would love to be able to cure certain diseases, uh, uh, cystic fibrosis or, or uh, uh, certain other uh, uh, heart, lung diseases, muscle diseases by transfer of genes. That's, that's, of course, I mean, you'd like to do that with genes as well as you would with chemicals. But there's such a different risk and such a different outcome uh, when, you, when you plant, when you, when you uh, transfer germ cells because when you transfer somatic cells, that just affects a part of your body. And the consequences aren't too dire if you mess it up. But when you transfer germ cells, that, that, that has to do with what's in every cell of your body. That's a radical thing. I want to use that as a metaphor for what happens with Christ. When you, if you sign up to become a Christian because you want to fix one part of your life, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. That the scripture says that the way that you become a Christian is, is more like gene therapy. I mean, more like germ, ther germ cell therapy. It's, it's like every part of your body is transformed. It's transformed into His Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. For any man, if any man be in Christ, he's, he's, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. The new has come. It's all new. So therefore, if we want this kind of submissive spirit, if, if we want to live like that, there's no way we're going to do that outside Christ. We weren't raised like that. We weren't raised like that. It's, it's a totally different culture for us. Even the, even the cultures, I was, I was reading an uh, uh, article from the New York Times this week. Uh, uh, this guy has a, uh, uh, he lives in Japan, and his little uh, boy goes to a Japanese kindergarten, little American kid goes to a Japanese, or uh, Anglo kid, goes to a Japanese kindergarten. And he was talking about how different the nature of that country is. What a, what a high premium they put on harmony and cooperation. Well, you put 175 million people on an island about this big, you got to learn to cooperate pretty fast. 
And so he was talking about how important cooperation was and harmony over there and how different it is from Americans. So he said, so his little boy was having a birthday, so he wanted to invite these little Japanese kids over to have a birthday party, American style, and he thought he'd teach them some American games. And so the first game he set up was, for, what do you, this is what you do with a little five-year-old. He, he set up musical chairs. You know, the, you know the deal. Where there's one less chair than there is participants. And the whole object of that is the first one that grabs a chair, and, and the, if somebody doesn't get in a chair, they're out. Well, they, he starts marching his kid and his little Japanese kid around his circle. He explained to him the rules, and, and uh, so he stops the music first time. And uh, he said, the little Japanese boys did okay. They just got into a chair immediately. But, but uh, his, his little uh, son's girlfriend, uh, Chittachan, was standing right in front of a chair and saw that his son didn't have a chair. And so she just stepped aside and offered her chair to him. And, and so he sat down, and then he, the guy who's running the party said, I had the horrible task of going to this little five-year-old girl looking up at me with these little deer fawn eyes, you know? He said, I felt like I was talking with, with Bambi about venison. <laughs> he said, I had the horrible thing to go to her and say, you lose. <laughs> and she looked at me, didn't say anything, but she looked at me with eyes that said this. You mean to tell me that I lose because I was being polite? You mean to tell me that the object of this game is rudeness? <laughs> well, it kind of takes you back, doesn't it? Most of us, me included, have been raised in a culture that the object of the game is rudeness. The object of the game is I win. The object of the game is I do whatever I need to. But when I look at the life of Christ... I'm taken back. The God of the universe comes, comes to us. And we are supposed to follow in his steps. Look at, look at uh, 2 Peter uh, 21. I'm sorry, 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. It talks about our suffering up here. No matter what, you've been called for this purpose. For Christ also suffered leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Isn't there a better way to live? Isn't there a better way to live than this, this all-out competition where we're trying to climb on top of a pile somewhere? Isn't there a better way to live like Jesus, who just kind of walked in and, how, how can I, what can I do to help? Can I heal you? Can I love you? Can I lift you up? Isn't that a better way to live? It is. And can't we do that in our marriages first? Why, why, why is that so tough? That ought to be the first place we do it. To learn to joyfully surround someone and lift someone up. That ought to be the first place. I love what the curriculum said this week. First of all, it, it, in, the, in, the, in the high school, middle school, said, it said, what, check out who you're dating if you want the qualities of, of, of niceness or, or, or compassion or whatever, after this, as a matter of fact, in 1 Peter, that reminds me, it kind of sums up uh, in 1 Peter 3, 8. 
It's, it talks about, in 3.7 says, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. And then in verse three, uh, in, in First Peter three eight, it says this: To sum up, let a harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. It talked about checking out the folks you're dating. Is that the kind of person you're dating who will give you a blessing instead? I love what Eleanor wrote for the kids said when she talked about yield signs. Most people don't understand yield. Most people don't understand. In this society, they don't understand yield. They confuse it with stop. Have you ever been following somebody down a ramp, going on some major highway that goes down, there's a yield sign there, and the person just stops dead? And you just want to say, what's up with this? This is dangerous. You know, they're sitting there. They're probably 108 years old and waiting for an opening. <laughs> And you're thinking, but there's some very cautious people too, and, and, they're, and, they're waiting, and, and they're waiting for an opening. You think this is the most dangerous thing in the world because you're supposed to kind of build up and kind of blend in. That's, that's what yield is. People don't understand. Yield in a relationship isn't stopping who you are. It's not stopping uh, uh, your progress. It is blending in to something that's already happening. That's what we need to be able to do, and you only do that with the Spirit of Christ that you realize that, that you are there. Now, now uh, go, go some more with me here. You are there to build up what they think is important. That's what submission is. Submission is not just an attitude. I want the best for you. Submission is, I want to help you accomplish what you think is important in this world. Sub, it, it literally comes from having a mission that is underneath another mission. That's literally what it means. I want to make my mission one that will come underneath you and lift you up. Because all work, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7, that we should, there's that verb tense in mood again, keep rendering service as to the Lord and not to men. We're down here to glorify God and to lift up what He's important, what, what, we think, uh, what, what He thinks is important. How do we do that? By coming alongside people and lifting up what they think is important. That's it. That's what a submissive spirit is. Let me try to help you succeed. That's what this is about. I love this story. What's that? Oh, I love this story about um, Paderewski, the, the great um, piano master. Paderewski was once giving, at the height of his fame and accomplishment, he was once giving a, uh, um, uh, a concert. And, and so, so awesome was he. He didn't need uh, a, a lot of decorations on stage. As a matter of fact, in this great concert hall, there was just, just a grand piano, most magnificent grand piano. Just, that was the only thing on stage. And Paderewski came out and just absolutely, for the first part of the program, just absolutely brought the house down. I mean, it was just, it was ab absolutely flawless. And then he took a little break and allowed the audience to take a little break, and everybody stood up and they started talking. One of the people who had come that night was a mother with, I think, maybe a seven or eight-year-old who had just begun taking piano lessons. 
And, and you know, when you're a little, this is a little boy, when you're a little boy and, and everybody, all the grown-ups are talking and, and you've just started taking piano lessons and you see a piano, it just seems inviting that you, nobody's using it right now. <laughs> and so, sure enough, all of the adult conversation is interrupted with the sound of chopsticks being played on this piano. Chopsticks. The mother turns around, looks for her kid, he's not there, looks up on stage horrified to see him sitting on Paderowski's bench playing chopsticks on his piano. But before she can make a move, true story, Paderowski comes out from the wings behind this little boy and he whispers in his ear, keep playing. And the little boy kept playing the chopsticks and Paderowski's arms surrounded him and played the most beautiful accompaniment, the most beautiful harmony you've ever heard in your life. That's what God does with us. What's our part in this world? Chopsticks, little things we do. <laughs> I mean, no matter what we do and how good we are at it, compared to the universe, it's chopsticks. But God in Jesus Christ comes to us and whispers in our ears, keep playing, keep doing it. And he surrounds us with his competence. That's submission. That is the delight of helping someone else succeed at what they think is important. And you know why God does it? Do you know why we ought to do it? Not for the performance level, but for the intimacy. For the intimacy. Rendering service as unto the Lord. When we submit our lives to help each other out, then in some mysterious way, look at what it says in, in Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 32. This is a great mystery, it says. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. He just goes through this whole thing of marriage, and he says, I know you don't understand this. I know you think it's about human-to-human -human relationship, but it's really about Christ and the church. Because when you love each other like Christ loved us, you draw closer to him. That's why the wedding song, because... Our submitting to one another is our getting ready for the bridegroom. Pray with me. Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Help us to submit. Help us our, our missions to be underneath and around, lifting up what other people want to accomplish. Help us to help them like Jesus helps us. And Lord... To do that, just let us want more and more of who Jesus is in our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen.